and welcome to Deep North. Uh, we are here today in the studio with Iceland Review staff writer Ragnar Thomas, and we're going to be hearing a fun piece called Rosé and 10K on becoming a better person at the Reykjavik Marathon. It was a season of debauchery, a season of cocktail-filled nights and subpar parenting, a season of good-natured rationalization. The good thing about drinking while raising two young boys, I observed, is that I have four hands, sometimes six. I was in Surrey when I made that observation. Surrey in English means sorry, in reference to how insufferably proper the Brits can be in that particular region of their island, especially in traffic. In Surrey, no one has the common decency to use their middle fingers to point out the obvious flaws in your driving. You're just supposed to wave and apologize and be real Surrey about everything. Eight weeks earlier, I'd managed to kick my nicotine pouch habit in Amsterdam, of all places, but I'd fallen back on my habit of incessant vaping, allowing a poisonous fog to descend upon the interior landscape of my anatomy with all the frequency of a modern wildfire. There was a tennis ball in my chest, black spots on my teeth, and my legs had gradually taken on the form of crimson bricks. I was at my most unhealthiest, addicted, detestable, the least admirable version of myself in decades. Ever since those three nearly successive bar fights, when I attended Granny's funeral with a black eye. But there's a splendor to the bottom. It's where the artists go for inspiration, all the good ones. And I know you're not supposed to equate good artistry with mental adversity anymore, but let's be honest, all the best artists are crazy. They really are. It was in this miserable state of mind that an online advertisement caught my eye, and something crazy inside of me identified it as salvation. There's always something crazy inside of me identifying things as something other than what they are. It's one of the worst things about having studied literature. That and all the goddamn Chaucer. This thing was a marathon, but not so much a marathon as a quarter of one, for the sake of feasibility. An entire marathon would likely kill me, but a quarter marathon, I reasoned, that was insane, but maybe doable, if only I were willing to put in the requisite suffrage. That's not the wrong word, because suffrage also means prayer, and I needed to do a lot of suffrage during my huffing, puffing suffering. I hadn't run in ages. Even before summer vacation, long before summer vacation, I had avoided all running on account of my knees. I'm 37 years old and I have bad knees, and it's not like I have some stellar athletic career to show for it or anything. Just a few plastic trophies from high school languishing somewhere in storage. Anyhow, just as that Van Gogh reprint of the smoking skull had served as a symbol for my quitting nicotine pouches in Amsterdam, that crazy thing inside of me now believed that the agony of this year's quarter marathon could serve as a reminder to stop killing myself, if only for my kids. And so I got up at seven in the morning and drove into town. I popped open a small bottle of rosé, plopped myself down on Arnarot Hill, right next to that crazy bastard Inkolur Arnason, and sucked down my final vape clouds as a farewell to all this goddamn debauchery. I wasn't running for some lame, charitable organization like all the do-gooders on the socials. I was running for myself, running so that I could become more like all the do-gooders on the socials and donate to all the lame, charitable organizations, some of whom honestly aren't all that lame. There's nothing wrong with tooting one's own horn, 
There's plenty of people out there shooting their own porn. My colleague snuck up on me like some kind of art house paparazzi and took pictures. I posed for a while and began opening my mouth to say something when I recalled that opening my mouth to say something would ruin the pictures. But I wanted to tell him that I'd cross the finish line as a different person, that he would have to ask to see my identification at the end of it because he wouldn't recognize me no more, and that I'd probably stop to get my hair cut on the way and fight a few Nazis. The Reykjavik Marathon was founded in 1974, but who cares about history? History is just this tremendous mental scaffold that historians clamber to avoid living in the present moment. It's no better than video games or futurism. And I had no regard for all that because I was on the path to transcendent mindfulness. As I jostled my way through the throng of spandex do-gooders wearing a blue and white Hawaiian in protest, my colleague continued to snap photos. We discussed hunting out the most detestable face imaginable, like Hunter Thompson at the Kentucky Derby, but to our eternal disappointment, everyone looked quite healthy. Standing among all these health freaks, the newly minted CEO of Islandsbanki delivered a brief speech about how the weather was equally suited to, quote, achievement and amusement, while the runners gave a collective groan. I chalked it up to their post-financial crisis rancor, still holding that all bankers are wankers, but I felt a little sorry for the guy. Why is it that all the leftist talk of circumstance molding problematic behavior only applies to people at the bottom? The rich deserve to be excused as well. I was carrying my phone in one hand and my vape pen in the other when the starter pistol went off. I pressed play on the music as my brick legs began to shuffle. Moments earlier, I had crafted a playlist on Spotify exclusive to the kind of artist that you'd want to make friends with in prison and then slowly distance yourself from once you got out. I also added that old Batman theme song for good measure, for that goddamn rhythm guitar horn combo is so groovy. Batman. I felt fine for the first five kilometers or so, giving high fives to all the beaming children residing in West Reykjavik, grabbing cups of water and deliberately missing the bins, pumping my hands in the air like a goddamn lunatic to reciprocate the cheering from the sidelines. But after being carried through the first half of the race by the music of my fair-weather prison friends, the buzz from the rosé and all the cheering spectators, the suffering began. A blister announced itself on the bottom of my left foot. A dollop of terrible green snot began hampering the natural aeration of my nostrils. But with all the people lining the streets, where the hell was I supposed to project? And finally, my ego suffered continual blows as I struggled to keep up with people who my dumb id had deemed, quote, non-athletes, but who gradually pulled ahead of me anyway, despite any dismissive labels that my id had assigned to them. It felt good to suffer. I mean, it felt terrible, but intellectually speaking, also good. I was crossing a threshold, and I would emerge on the other side as a new person as one of those people who stays the fuck off the internet, whose only poison is kindly acts towards strangers, and who never loses his head as a parent, but remains all Marcus Aurelius even after a third successive temper tantrum concerning something as insignificant as a misplaced sock. In my defense, I don't think old Aurelius would last 30 minutes in the office of a modern parent. I'd take superintending a Roman army against the barbarian hordes any day over a three-hour plane ride with two kids. I'm only partially kidding. 
Nevertheless, my goddamn posture was so horrid during the final two kilometers of the race that when I received photos of myself after the run, they were of a completely different person. It was AI's way of telling me that I looked awful, or was it a measure of my transformation? When I crossed the finish line, I was directed to keep moving so as to afford the requisite space for all the other runners, but that was insane. What kind of misanthrope asks a person who's just suffered 10 kilometers at a reasonable pace without so much as a day's worth of training to, quote, keep moving? That's like greeting an alpinist at the top of K2 with a ladder and asking them just to climb a little higher to make sure there's room for everyone else. Not so. I was going to make a big deal of it before I recalled that I was a new person and decided not to, and hobbled forward like I just had my kneecaps worked on by a pair of example-setting mafiosos. I bought a green smoothie on Leuvaud and tossed my vape pen in the garbage. That's the last I've seen of the thing over the past two weeks. I'd like to tell you that I've gone all phoenix from the ashes, but that would be taking it too far. I'm still on the internet and I'm still not completely zen around my kids and I still laze around watching English football. I have stopped vaping, to be sure, but now I'm mildly addicted to monster energy drinks. Every habit is just avoidance of a worse one and an excuse for adopting a better one. I've been thinking a lot about addiction lately, what I've learned about it in the process of punting nicotine pouches and vape pens. I know these two substances may seem perfectly benign when juxtaposed with opioids, cocaine, and amphetamines, but they're no banana smoothie either, given especially their prevalence among the local youth. Among the best things about quitting nicotine pouches was bidding farewell to that awful feeling of sneaking into a Sven's and indirectly forking money over to a cabal of capitalists who obviously care much more about their bottom line than the health and integrity of this country's youth. Whenever I see that Swedish bastard Sven's lamping around on some blue and yellow billboard somewhere, I want to wring my hands at whatever nefarious forces conspire to anthropomorphize something as pernicious as flavored insecticide as a genial and socially responsible Swede. But here we are. The thing about addiction they don't tell you is that it has a lot to do with freedom. Being addicted is acquiescing to a pair of handcuffs, conceding a measure of one's freedom to a substance or an activity. Freedom, if we're talking brass tacks, is the name of the game, and bending over to circumstance is such an awful, awful feeling because it sets the tone for one's entire existence, and by extension, the existence of everyone else. It is, perhaps, the difference between a great world and a miserable one. Anyhow, I'm not sure that I have any stellar advice on quitting. All I can say is that it required a confluence of propitious elements. A change of scenery, first of all, for habit thrives in familiar environments. An intellectual feeling of disgust, the subjective feeling of rock bottom, for revulsion is a powerful motivator, and a contrivance of a threshold, a liminal event, alongside the invention of a convincing narrative. Man is a storytelling animal. Saying I had quit vaping after downing a glittering flask of rosé and yada 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 was a much more persuasive and engaging story to tell than merely declaring, quote, it was a Monday and I made a decision. Telling other people this story was also a way for me to bind myself to the mast, Odysseus style. It was no different from some of the other stories the other runners were telling themselves that day. 
Well, thank you for sharing the story of your personal transformation, Ragnar. And I guess I have to ask immediately, uh, how has it gone? Has the change stuck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've at least been um, vape free since after the marathon. Um, I've also reverted back to my habit of like uh, no sugar, no soda, and no fast food during weekdays, mm. which is nice because um, the weekends are a lot a lot of fun these days. <laughs> um, but I I kind of messed up my knee. I'm still I still have this knee pain after the run, which is. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is uh, fitness over thirty. Yeah, and also as my wife pointed out, like she, I couldn't, I could barely walk after the run, and she just shook her head and told me I was an idiot because I hadn't ran or practiced at all because I had had some rosé and some vape beforehand, and I had just found like these old running shoes somewhere from the back of my closet that I think my grandfather owned, who happened to fit me, so. Yeah, it was just a recipe for disaster, as my wife pointed out. But that was the whole point of it. I was supposed to suffer through it and and be reminded of my poor physical state, the <laughs> memento of never going back there again. So uh, maybe you can kind of uh, walk me through what led to this moment. I mean, obviously, you were kind of looking to reset yourself a little bit. But, you know, like um, what was kind of on your mind as you were thinking about... Uh, taking on this new physical challenge. Yeah, so <clears throat> I had, um, as I say in the piece, it had been a, a kind of summer of debauchery. Like uh, I have two young boys who were off from preschool and there's not a lot of time for yourself when you have two little kids. Mm. So like uh, I'd been going to the gym regularly before summer vacation, I wasn't doing that. You know, I was drinking the occasional beer in the evenings, watching English football, and I had, um, I had, you know, I had started doing these nicotine pouches from last December, and and uh, after I quit the pouches, I started vaping a little bit, and it was really just like I had this kind of epiphany earlier in the summer, I think in July or June, regarding um, the nicotine pouches because. Um, I, I had only recently started having become addicted to, to nicotine pouches, which is, I wrote a piece on it previously. I mean, something like 40% of Icelandic high schoolers are doing mm. the nicotine pouches. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it may be less harmful in some sense compared to cigarettes, but the the potency of pouches is that they're so addictive. There's so much nicotine in it. They're so easy to use and I actually do you know off the top of your head like what the kind of cigarette equivalent in each pouch is I mean it's like a, it's like two three four or something right well I think the average cigarette has about 12 milligrams of nicotine oh. so you can get pouches what are 15 or 20 they used to have 30 milligram pouches they don't have those anymore um, thankfully but I think um, for me it was because uh, I, I haven't I started drinking late I've never been addicted to anything in my life that way no drugs or anything like that but uh, sort of the nicotine patches were i think one of the first experiences of, of being addicted to something and, mm. and finding it really hard to quit and i had this sort of epiphany in amsterdam we went there and um i got really sick when we arrived and so i um and i had this sort of almost rock bottom moment of being really sick at the hotel room 
laying awake. I had like a high fever and I was listening to these podcasts on global warming and the end of the world. And the world felt so dark and miserable and like the walls were closing in. And I, I started thinking, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm, th I'm throwing my, you know, probably cutting some time off my life by doing this stupid thing. And so I decided to quit. And I bought this reprint of a Van Gogh painting with a smoking skull. It's a kind of symbol of, okay, you've quit now. You've bought this thing that you're going to look at whenever you, you, you're tempted. And, and I managed to kick the, kick the pouches. And I, I was reflecting back on that experience because my wife has been vaping a little bit as well. And I, and I was like, well, you know, what you need to do to kick a habit is basically you need a change of scenery. You know, you need uh, some kind of low point. You need some kind of symbol or some kind of like liminal event to mark that intellectually. And then you need to tell a lot of people about it. Mm, yeah. And so that's what I was looking to do with a marathon was like, okay, let's, uh, let's kick the vaping now and let's use the same technique of, of, you know, having this thing, which is you're going to suffer through these 10 kilometers. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was basically the idea behind it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good to have a ritual and to kind of feel like you're reborn when you're trying to make a change. Um, <clears throat> you know, also Icelanders are maybe like notoriously fit people, uh, or at least I think there's like a very popular image of the average Icelander being really into, you know, for instance, strongman, powerlifting, CrossFit, etc. And then, you know, on the other hand, uh, there is like a very highly developed uh, party culture among young people. So, you know, like in some sense, these things almost kind of seem like two sides of the same coin. Um, like there's maybe sometimes a lot of indulgence in youth, but then also um, a lot of, yeah, like attention paid to the body and fitness and all these things like later on, like, like, where do you think that kind of comes from or do you think that's particularly Icelandic or is that just kind of uh, the course of everyday average life for just a lot of people yeah I mean I think definitely there is in Iceland this thing called uh, they have a word for it kraftadella, where it's like this um, fascination with strength that may trace its roots back to you know life on the farmstead fishermen and fishers who went out to sea and i mean we have these stones that are um you know dot the coast of iceland that people used to lift to test their strengths and then they'd be mm. allocated a certain portion of sort of the the catch according to how strong they are so i mean i, I certainly felt that growing up you know people were you know, I started weightlifting early, and my grandfather was a mason, and we you know, always hear these stories of his feats of strength. And, and you know, I remember reading sort of comic book versions of the sagas when I was younger in the newspaper. And, and you, you felt like, I don't know, growing up and moving to the, to the States as well, you know, there was this expectation, oh, this guy's from Iceland, the Vikings and the sagas. And, of course, you know, and, and you kind of bought into that hype. I mean, that may just be my own personal history. So I, I can't really speak to that, but yes. And I think today we have, you know, of course, children are very active in sports um, and you have this scolariste, this competition among elementary schools for um, essentially fitness, where um, it was a former strongman who invented this thing, where schools compete against each, each other in fitness. And yeah, people go to the gym as in other places. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there's, something slightly 
uh, unique to Weissend and all of that, but it may just be human nature as well. I mean, certainly there's also something just to be said for uh, having to kind of take care of your body and getting through the winter and self-care and all these things and just kind of, you know, um, making sure your body doesn't fall apart as it gets darker and darker. And I think that like, like that's one of the major ways in which a lot of Icelanders cope with the climate and everything is just like really kind of going all in with fitness. And Yeah, I mean, th there may be an element of that as well, like the sort of the runner's high that comes with it that kind of maybe offsets the uh, sort of the natural high we're getting from the sun or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have this uh, aunt and she, you know, is always on like the latest diet. Like I think it used to be paleo and now it's like keto or whatever. And she like runs these like ultra marathons out by Lundmanalugut and stuff. And like there's just something particularly... Icelandic to me about that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I listen to a, uh, not a lot, uh, the occasional sort of tech bro podcast, like Tim Ferriss and stuff, where you have like, I mean, it may also have been like, for me, this West Coast of America, these like outdoorsy people who are always seeking to push the limits of their body somehow. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's Iceland and, and the West Coast of America. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can I ask what time you got uh, on your on your 10K? <laughs> yeah, I think it was uh, 48 minutes, 48 seconds. Not bad. Not bad. I, I used to be, I used to run when I was younger. I was a long distance runner. Um, and I actually, my, my grandfather, he founded or reestablished the track and field outfit in Hapnafjörður. So FL track and field was founded by my grandfather and my two uncles and my mother, they were actually, um, they were probably one of the first people in Iceland to jog as a means of exercise. Mm. Mm. And they used to get um, uh, pilloried. People made fun of them for doing this weird thing, for going out and jogging and running the streets. And uh, I think it was actually, it may have been, you know, I mean, it sounds funny today, but it may have been a some, somewhat bad experience of having other kids laugh at you because my grandfather... He used to, I think he used to drive his Willis truck down the street after them and, you know, sort of <laughs> encourage them to run. And so I got the same upbringing from my uncle. You know, at a very young age, I started competing in street races and I ran uh, the mile in, in Florida when I lived there. And then I, I absolutely hated long distance running, running <laughs> as a result. But um, yeah, so I think um, I, I ran... It was maybe 10 years ago. I, I think I ran a 43-minute 10K. I had practiced a little bit more at that time, but I remember my uncle, who's a long-distance runner, saying, 43 minutes, that's absolutely terrible. You were running like 36 when you were 16 or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I have some background in running, but, yeah, that was a hard 48. I was absolutely exhausted. You know, uh, I guess my mind also drifts to this really popular Icelandic uh, TV show for kids that was also pretty popular abroad, Lazy Town, yeah. that maybe some people recognize. Um, and, you know, of course, there's uh, this, this this character, Sportacus, I think his name was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's this kind of really positive uh, fitness figure. Um, and, you know, yeah, like there's something very Icelandic to me about that archetype. And, you know, like when I think of just the scene 
at the Reykjavik Marathon that day. You know, I mean, of course, every big run is going to be a little bit like that. Uh, like, there's just a lot of positivity, like a lot of family. Like, it's just a very kind of nice vibe. Um, but, you know, like, there's also something to me that's particularly... Icelandic about that, you know, like like you go to the Reykjavik, it's a lot of like friends and family, like there's a lot of kids just running around. It's just a very kind of um, open environment. And, you know, I think it's really positive to see, yeah, like a lot of people who maybe aren't athletes uh, participating, but uh, I think that there's just something about like specifically the Reykjavik marathon, like that specific event that is just really open. And I think that's, that, yeah. that's really nice and positive. Yeah. I mean, they have, uh, so they have the 10 K, the half marathon, the marathon, and then there's also the Skemtiskok, yeah. which is, I don't know, one or two kilometers. It's a short race. So the parents can run with their kids. And actually, um, speaking of Sportica's, because the guy who wrote the show, Magnus Kevin, who plays Sportacus and who was a, I think he competed in fitness, among other things, he used to actually, so back in the day in the 90s when we would have, we have these street races in different towns in the capital area. And I remember him on several occasions, you know, but prior to races, they would have maybe this open sort of movers truck with a side up and then he would be on stage like doing exercises and warm-ups. This was pre-Sporticus, but I mean, that that was, yeah, it's definitely the spirit that was going on. He was Sporticus before Sporticus. <laughs> he was Sporticus before Sporticus. <laughs> and he would show up to these events and, you know, get the crowd going and helping everybody warm up. And so, yeah, there's something, I mean, one of the great things about the Reykjavik Marathon is this sort of, you know, it, it's it's a great day. You get up early. There's lots of people there. They have music. There's a sense of camaraderie. You have kids there. You know, it, it's like, and then, of course, you know, there's usually the address by the CEO of Islamsmokie or the mayor. And, uh, and then there are people lining the streets across West Reykjavik who are cheering and clapping. And you have bands playing and people with speakers outside who really give you a second wind. There is something very infectious about it, you know, like they're uh, playing this really pounding electronic dance music as everybody is warming up and stuff. And you kind of almost feel like you're at a club, but you just kind of want to move your body or something. I mean, I definitely felt uh, when I was uh, observing the marathon, you know, I was like, ah, like I should really be doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think this is my third time doing the 10K at the Reykjavik Marathon. It's, yeah, it's a great day. And if the weather is nice, especially, then, uh, yeah, it's some of like this end of summer festival, and and then you have of course culture night, yep. and uh, yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, I hope that uh, you have achieved the transcendental enlightenment uh, that you sought, and uh, that um, yeah, you've you've become a new person like you wanted to, Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I'm, ha- I'm halfway there at least. All right. Thanks for talking. Yeah. Deep North is the official podcast of Iceland Review, Iceland's oldest English-language publication covering community, culture, and nature. If you enjoyed listening, please consider liking and subscribing. You can also find news and long-form journalism articles on icelandreview.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and the website formerly known as Twitter, X.